listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Hey, have you ever heard the term social determinants of health? You know, what are social determinants of health? There's a place at health.gov, which I'll have um, links to this page, um, that describes this. And the, the description is social determinants of health, or known as SDOH, are the conditions in the environments where people are born, they live, learn, work, play, worship, and age that affect a wide range of health functioning and quality of life outcomes and risks. Why in the world wouldn't we have a social determinants of health initiative and focus coming from the pharmacy industry led by uh, pharmacy groups, pharmacy professionals, uh, pharmacy technicians, and people that really understand medication management and in inserting that into the known fact of social determinants of health as a focus, which ultimately improves healthcare. The PQA, the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, came out with a, a, a document, a resource guide, called the PQA Social Determinants of Health Resource Guide. You may have seen it. If you haven't seen it, that link to downloading that guide will also be in the show notes. But I'm thrilled to have the Chief Engagement Officer of PQA with us here today, Mr. Richard Schmidt. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you, Todd. Glad to be here. So before we kick this off, I want your your definition of the social determinants of health and how that philosophy was, um, was key to the development of this uh, resource guide focused on delivering um, better pharmacy services, as well as um, cost of medications, food security, social, social isolation. Let's break into this document, Richard. Well, you had a great definition of STOH uh, to open the podcast. And, you know, from, from PQA's perspective, you know, we're focused on medication use quality. So in addition to traditional care, issues like medication cost, uh, literacy, transportation, all impact a patient's ability to access medications and use them safely and effectively. So that was really the jumping off point for uh, creating the guide. So when I think of this, it's very purposeful to assure that people um, have safe housing, um, have organizations and structures and even uh, laws and, and following up with what is our constitution from a national perspective against racism and discrimination and violence and being able to provide education and job opportunities and even things like protection of our environment and, and pollution in our air or waters and having standards coming from a focus on social determinants of health, SDOH, and how that philosophy has now turned into um, this amazing resource, amazing guide. 
And I wanted to kind of break into this, um, Richard. Why do you think this is necessary to have a guide that is very specific to pharmacy care? Yeah, great question, Todd. So PQA has been working on, on SDOH for a number of years, and most organizations in pharmacy and healthcare have. And, uh, you know, we've hosted a number of forums, national forums that have brought stakeholders together to talk about the work that they're doing. Um, and as we kind of walked up to our 2020 leadership summit, we didn't want to kind of have, you know, yet another event that just kind of showcased examples. We wanted to create a more durable resource around these issues. And we looked around the environment and there are a number of, of SDOH resource guides out there, but there was none specific to pharmacy and none with a focus on medication use quality. So we saw it as a great opportunity to fill a gap and to start aggregating uh, the important work that's being done in pharmacies and communities. I really have a lot of respect for your organization in gathering subject matter expertise from other organizations that participated in the guide. I think a lot of these organizations that felt that it was important enough to participate in collecting uh, the best case, uh, best practice scenarios and the data that you extracted, including organizations like Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, uh, First Data Bank, um, and the Allegheny County Department of Duquesne University Center for Integrative Health, um, right here in the, my backyard in, in the, in the Pitts, greater Pittsburgh area. Let's talk about that for a second. Why was it important to involve other organizations in our healthcare system, and even ones that were very specific to the pharmaceutical and pharmacy profession? Well, yeah, the SUH issues are, are cross-cutting. They affect every aspect of care, every point of care that you can think of. So if you're gonna appropriately represent um, efforts to address SUH, even those that are kind of narrowly focused on medication use quality, um, you know, collecting and, and learning from, you know, the work that's being done by this diversity of organization is really kind of what paints uh, the complete picture. So, you know, what we've tried to do is to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, think about who are pharmacists and pharmacies partnering with, you know, in a host of communities across the country, um, you know, and how can we, you know, document those examples and start categorizing them by, you know, the different interactions, whether it's a pharmacy working with uh, community health workers or a local uh, health system or uh, an insurance provider. So there's so many cross-cutting ways that these issues are being addressed that that's really what you see, you know, played out you know, in a guide that has so many different examples from so many, you know, diversified stakeholders in healthcare. Richard, I feel this couldn't have come at a, at a better time with all of the confusion that the pandemic created within our healthcare system to bring focus to some of the issues that are overlooked based on some of the panic that we all went through during the earlier stages of the pandemic, especially when it first coming out. I think we're, we're, we're getting to a point now in our, our culture and our society that we're learning to uh, move ahead and live with um, the ongoing pandemic. But I see some elements of this guide that really play into extending other healthcare services that are married or parallel to medication excellence and medication delivery. Would you kind of pick out a 
couple of the ones that, that really stand out to you during the uh, cultivation of, of this data and, and share that with our, our listeners and really even making call outs to our pharmacists to follow up on, on some of these best practices? Absolutely. So, you know, I think one issue I want to speak to is the issue of referrals. You know, everyone who's been working on SQH, you know, from whether it's primary care physicians, pharmacists, anybody in the system has for many years been hesitant to, to screen for and identify SQH problems. And one of the reasons for that is, is, you know, once you identify a problem, you often kind of feel an obligation to address it. And you know, no sole, you know, entity is really equipped to or has the range of services that are needed to, to take care of all of the SUH uh, barriers that may be identified in a screening process. And a lot of the great work that you see in the guide speaks to the referral process. So uh, SUH issues can be identified in a pharmacy setting, and some of those can be addressed there. But many of them actually require referral to other community organizations to help an individual with uh, transportation, food security, um, you know, other, other kind of basics of life that really, you know, set the foundation for a patient to have a good experience with healthcare and medication use. So the, the examples around referrals, I think, are, are really important, but I also hope that they're viewed as, as empowering. You know, none of us, no one working in the system has to do it on their own. And thinking about how we integrate the variety of resources that are available in a community, uh, I, I think makes working on SDH much more approachable. So, Richard, I like that this guide also uses actual examples coming from community-based pharmacies that have served their communities for years. And one in particular who participated in the guide was Towncrest Pharmacy in Johnson County, Iowa, and how the screening tool into their comprehensive medication review workflow improved screening. And they used an eight question verbal survey that the pharmacist or the trained pharmacy technician uh, helped to complete with the patient, with the consumer of that community. And they were able to also map out other resources needed for community needs, uh, which came from this survey. I think that's brilliant. And I also think that that's something that can be repeated throughout uh, the nation, uh, 21,000 plus independently owned community pharmacies. So I think this could be even broken up into a separate uh, episode really to drive down into the uh, pharmacy screening for unmet social needs. Yeah, a Towncrest is a great example in the guide. Um, you know, and it's representative of things that pharmacies have been doing in the community for decades. And so I think what we're seeing now with trends in healthcare more broadly and in this guide, you know, is the opportunity for standardization, documentation, um, you know, and from a PQA perspective, an opportunity and time to measure those activities and for those measurements to support reimbursement for valuable SDOH services. So, you know, the Towncrest example that you shared, I think, you know, it among other examples is something that pharmacies and others can look at of, of how do we actually start to standardize and replicate these processes, you know, in different settings. Also tying in technology and how technology is being adopted at multiple levels within healthcare and uh, pharmacy is no different. Um, the usage of 
digital therapeutics, the usage of trackable metrics um, based on specific uh, medication therapies. Uh, there's uh, participation in this guide from the University of North Carolina uh, Elshman School of Pharmacy, which talks about telepharmacy visits and how important, especially with once we when, when we started out, we were talking about why this guide is so important and the pandemic kind of accelerated some of the needs that um, have been identified that this guide uh, reviews. And one of that is telepharmacy services. When you have um, people that, that can't get the transportation to the pharmacy for some follow-up services, uh, that telepharmacy um, ability, um, being able to see your patient, talk with your patient, um, have communications uh, improved, I think that's so important. Can you talk about that uh, particular piece of the guide as well? Well, you know, telepharmacy, you know, I, I like to think of as part of this broader set of remote care services. Um, and as, as you mentioned, as we've learned through the pandemic, uh, the value of those services is immense and the opportunity to, to grow them, um, you know, is, is great. And, and pharmacists and pharmacies are, are well positioned uh, to lead on that. Um, and so, uh, so many of the, of the SDOH barriers, you know, that you think about, um, transportation barriers, social isolation, uh, you know, food security, um, so many of these are things that, that, you know, uh, prevent individuals from, from getting into a clinic or to getting into certain settings. And so telepharmacy and remote care are, are going to be essential tools for effectively reaching them and providing appropriate services. The Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, known as CPESN, also participated in this guide. And it's really interesting how that national organization broken into 50 different pharmacy chapters throughout our 50 states has really uh, vetted and proven and built out programs specific to medication management pharmacogenomics, best practices, follow-up on disease states, uh, comorbidity, um, you know, cascade prescribing, so many different things that have come out of it. It's, a, it's very exciting for me knowing what CPSN has been working on for uh, many, many years um, to really build out the value of pharmacy services, assuring that those services are implemented, especially when we're talking about multiple um, chronic conditions for uh, patients. Can you kind of touch on the resource that CPESN has been um, for this guide through PQA? Yeah, CPESN, uh, you know, has been doing, you know, great work to, you know, advance enhanced pharmacy services for, for many years now. And it's no surprise that I think at least three of the examples in the guide, um, you know, in, involve their work. Um, and, uh, you know, there are two notable projects in there where uh, pharmacy staff completed uh, training via a National Community Pharmacist Association module. Um, and so I think in one example in New York, uh, a group of eight CPESN pharmacies uh, partnered with an independent practice association. And that's a, a regional organization that provides community-based social services. And so the pharmacies would make referrals for SDH services to an IPA via the IPA's technology platform. And that was launched in 2020, I believe. And that project, you know, quickly saw positive results with 
uh, I think an acceptance rate of, of 23% or more you know, of patient referrals for community-based social services. And then uh, the other featured project that went through that NCPA training was in Missouri. And that's where a group of pharmacies launched a bi-directional referral program uh, between pharmacies and local community organizations and the Missouri Department of Health. And um, I think that's uh, an example where pharmacy delivery drivers were actually completing uh, the SDUH screenings. Um, so it's another great example of remote care um, and then kind of uh, connecting in need patients with uh, community health workers for, for other services. And they estimated that, you know, in a short time, you know, patients who were served by that program saved tens of thousands of dollars collectively in out-of-pocket uh, prescription costs. So, um, you know, a lot of these projects are actually relatively young in terms of how long they've been providing services, but uh, results are already, you know, coming in that, that show some real positive impact. So I have a curveball for you, uh, Richard, which um, as I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm actually going through the guide as we're both talking here, something kind of jumped out at me. And uh, so uh, this is going to put you on the spot, but that's part of uh, podcasting. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so, all right. So we know that um, there are several states throughout uh, the country that recognize pharmacists as providers, and they're creating those state-level um, uh, compensation models through their Medicaid, Medicare systems to assure that um, there's services that are part of medication therapy that are being compensated for that isn't necessarily tied to the dispensing fee per se. And that's something we've all believed in. And when I say all of us, I mean the APHA, the NCPA, CPSN, all the state organizations, like everybody gets it. It's interesting to see CMS participate in this guide, understand in a 52-page report that there is uh, notable services um, blaring and, and shining off of the page with regards to some of the outcomes data, as well as the resources that are included in this report, in this extremely detailed report. I would think that CMS in participating in this guide would really accelerate the understanding that, in fact, Pharmacists are doing things every day, have been doing things every day, uh, acting as providers. Do you think that this guide will will help to kind of accelerate some of that um, decision-making from a federal level to recognize pharmacists as providers? Uh, well, thanks for the curveball. Um, <laughs> well, I guess the first thing I, I want to clarify is, you know, you know, CMS was not an active participant in the guide. We do feature uh, some of the uh, programs that they have that um, address SDUH and involve, uh, you know, a pharmacy component. Um, so they're kind of a more indirect participant, if you will. But I think to your broader question, you know, I, I hope that the guide um, helps to further the conversation and, and further build the case for where and how pharmacists and pharmacies can play uh, a more integrated role in team-based care. You know, I think one of the, you know, kind of key criteria, if you will, to be included in the guide is that the example had to either be led by 
or involve, you know, pharmacists and pharmacies, right? And so um, I think as these services continue, as the results are documented, and, and people in the care system, payers in particular, as they see uh, improved patient outcomes, improved patient experiences, uh, and, and ideally, you know, lower cost in some areas, that uh, the value of this will become clear and, you know, the reimbursement around these services will become um, more common and more standardized. So I think, you know, I think that indeed is, you know, is, is a goal, not necessarily of, of the guide, but of, of, you know, those who are on the front lines providing care. For a multitude of reasons, we tend, um, as the pharmacy profession, we tend to build these sections and silos and sometimes of pharmacy services, such as identifying specialty pharmacy versus long-term care or senior care specific pharmacy, our health system pharmacists that focus on the environment of, of our, our hospital systems and of course community. And, and, and we could continue to, to split hairs and kind of even go down into the realm of research or medical science liaison. This guide fits and should be practiced and should be definitely read by any pharmacist in any of those settings because of the fact that it really it really is the common denominator of, of pharmacists' capabilities within healthcare and how pharmacists are impacting, as we saw enormous amounts of press on pharmacists during this campaign, uh, of, of servicing our entire nation during the pandemic to do nothing but get the vaccines administered and testing and additional services that were ancillary to, um, you know, pandemic situations and even even nutrition and, and things that are coming out of community pharmacies. But what do you say to any pharmacist or any pharmacy technician that's listening right now with regards to the bigger uh, mission of what this guide has done as a pathway to um, delivering better pharmacy services. Well, the guide is is really an amplification of the great work that that pharmacists are doing, you know, um, on their own accord and in partnership with others in the care system. Um, and you know, I think, you know, I think to your point about the variety of pharmacist types that are featured, I think it's an affirmation that pharmacists have an important role to play and in a positive impact on medication use quality and SDOH services in a variety of settings. And so, you know, in the guide, yes, there are examples that are community pharmacy based, but you also have ones that are health system based, those that are, are health plan based, and then even, even other uh, care settings. So pharmacists have an ability to positively impact, you know, these issues in every setting, you know, and, and also, at, at every scale. So, you know, the guide has, you know, probably half of the examples are national scale projects, um, you know, but but four to five, you know, take place at the local, state and regional level. So there are opportunities for pharmacists to, to have a positive, you know, impact on, on care delivery and, and patient outcomes, you know, in, in every setting imaginable. Richard, I also see this guide giving any pharmacist, any pharmacy technician or, or professional, 
it's really in the field of service, in the field of, of healthcare services, uh, that it's almost necessary to be aware of the other components of, of the social determinants of health and how that impacts the, um, the services that we're uh, responsible for, and that is medication management. And if you don't have transportation, if you don't have food, if you don't have shelter, your medication adherence will most likely fall to the wayside because there are other elements in those people in those people's lives that take precedence, that take primary concern of them. And if we're not focused on that, then we're not going to get our job done as pharmacy professionals, assuring that medications are doing uh, what they're intended to do and designed to do into delivering um, better pathways to health. What do you think of that um, as a as kind of a, a closing for us today? Well, I, I think that's completely true. Um, you know, an awareness of the SDH issues, you know, is 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 critical to effectively assessing what a patient needs and connecting them with the right, uh, you know, services and programs. And so, you know, I think there are kind of two important things there. I think it really does begin with screening. You know, we need to do a better job system-wide of identifying what the SDOH barriers are that individuals are facing. Uh, and I think that has to be um, paired with um, effective information and data sharing across the healthcare system. So pharmacists need to have access to SDOH information about the patients they're serving that may be coming from other uh, care providers, other people in the care continuum, and vice versa. The things that pharmacists collect are critically valuable information that we have to get kind of integrated back into uh, the broader, you know, care uh, system. So, you know, um, you know, knowledge is power. It's the jumping off point for all of this. Absolutely. Well, Richard Schmitz, it's been amazing um, to read through this document and lights going off and realizing that there's interconnection to um, to home care. There's interconnection to nurses in our communities, um, physicians that are um, concerned with follow through with the treatments that they start. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add in, in wrapping up today? Well, thanks, Todd. I uh, really appreciated chatting with you today. In closing, you know, I want to emphasize that this first edition of the guide has 20 examples, and we know there are dozens of others out there, and we're working now to identify and summarize those for inclusion in subsequent future editions. Adding to the guide's depth is a priority for us. I think it will further validate the types of examples you see, but also further uncover where else this um, you know, can be applied. And many of the projects featured are in progress. So we're hoping to share more results as well. Um, you know, all of the services you know, are, are intriguing, but you know, our members and other stakeholders in the healthcare system and pharmacy want information on what's working best. That's where people are going to be willing to make financial investments for SDOH uh, screening interventions and referrals. So um, I hope that people will uh, visit the website that you'll share where the guide uh, is housed. And there's a, a form there where people can share other examples that they think that we should add for the next edition. We will be sharing and promoting this on all of our social media for uh, a campaign time during 
um, during the next uh, few months. Excited to um, have this resource to share with our networks. I want to ask our listeners, please share this podcast as well as the links within the show notes so that we can get more pharmacists, more care providers, uh, physicians, nurses uh, aligned together and understanding uh, that there is social determinants of health that are preventing uh, the dollars that are being spent from really uh, doing and, and being as effective as possible. More importantly, that people are receiving the treatment that they deserve for improving medication use quality. Uh, Richard, this has been an absolute pleasure and I thank you for being here. All right, thank you, Todd.